take a look at was it's on the subject of what's known as textual criticism. And what that is, as especially in the last in the last few decades, really, <laughs> really several, there's been a lot of uh, you know scholars that have looked at various things and they've come to determinations that certain texts weren't originally in scripture. And as a result of that, basically all of the new translations we have, especially for the last few decades, no longer con contain certain verses. It started out saying with uh, side notes, you know, in text, if you had reference Bibles, saying that, well, this is not found in the earliest Greek manuscripts. And some will get in a little more detail, some will say nothing at all. Till now, when you look at them, they're just not there. And most of them, the majority of them I looked at, don't have any reference to it, whatever. They just removed it. And if you go online and you punch in, we'll be looking at a particular one right now called the Comma Johannium, which is basically First uh, John 5, verse 7, that it's removed from basically all the newer versions, you know, except for the King James. And, they're, and they so-called have an argument that at first sounds pretty convincing. It must be because, as I was saying, you look it up online, and I can find dozens of references to it immediately, and practically all of them just unequivocally states, you know, I mean, you know, places a lot of people go to, even, you know, Bible reference hubs and Bible.org and, you know, a lot of pretty decent sites, and they just clearly say, well, yes, it was an addition. And their strongest argument, and by far really their only, which would seem like a very convincing argument, is that they come off and they state, well, well, first, first, here, before I go any further, Turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, please. First John chapter 5, verse 7. Now, it reads in the King James Version, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now, if you have another translation, and, you know, you picked it up any time in about the last 15 or 20 years, it should start, it should, uh, verse 6 should end up, because the Spirit is truth, and then go right to immediately say something like, and there are three that bear witness on earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood. Verse 8 actually has verse 7. And these three agree in one. Okay, the problem is the reason what they removed is the comma, there are three that bear record in heaven, comma, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now, of course, this is actually the most convincing clear text in Scripture affirming 
the Trinity, the Trinitarian, you know, nature of the Godhead, right? For it clearly shows us, shows us not those that would say that there's not an equality or that the Son was created or would argue against the divinity of Christ or the divinity of the Holy Ghost and, and, and the heresy that says, well, they just, they're all the same. They just appear in different forms throughout history. It clearly says there, verse 7, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Word and the Holy Ghost, the, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Right? So there's three, and just the, the wording there, right? The three, the three separate, you know, when you read into that, that bear record in heaven. Okay. Now to get into why, as I was saying, they removed it. Their argument goes like this. Well, we have over 5,000 manuscripts, Greek manuscripts, and none before the 10th century contain the comma. Well, that, that sounds pretty strong. Well, I mean, you know, and that's a fact. We do have, and that was as of five years ago, you know, that we had over 5,000 Greek manuscripts, and none before the 10th century contained the comma. Of course, it's a little misleading because you go on to all those sites that defend it, they, they really don't go much beyond that. Now, if you look into that, what I mean by it's a little misleading, what if I told you that of those manuscripts before the 10th century, there are only 10 that contain 1 John 5, 7, and 8? Only 10. And that's two of them from the 4th century, two of them from the 5th century, one of them from the 6th century, two of them from the 8th century, two of them from the 9th century. That's it. That's all we have that contain 1 John 5, 7, and 8. And yes, those 10 do not contain the comma. But a few things, and that's what I want to do here, is give all the information about it, so we can come to a proper determination of it. And for me, for some people, it's like, well, this isn't that much of a controversy. We know we can teach the Trinity elsewhere. And that's true. We can. Not as clearly as it just stated here. I mean, so clear in just one verse. So clear. But we can. We can defend the Trinity with multitude, multitudes of verses and passages. But my big thing is, now that this has been removed, and it has been declared by those who removed it as being believed that it's not the word of God. Now, for me, personally, to come to that conclusion and to make that kind of statement, I would need overwhelming evidence to make such a statement of something that was considered the word of God, because this argument's existed. From you look back, it, I mean it, and we'll see that that this this argument against the, the Trinity was was there, you know, back earlier, even before the earliest existing Greek manuscript we have that contains the verses. This is known about. It was even known about at the time when the Reformation was happening, and then when we finally printed the Bibles, they even had the King James Bible. It was discussed at that time, and you you look up then the overwhelming vast majority of the 
the teachers, you know, the, the teachers, the scholars in the church concluded that according to all the evidence they had, that this is the word of God. And, but they're saying, well, they didn't have as good of manuscript evidence, you know, as we do now. Well, that's an assumption, you know. John Gill, John Gill talked about it saying, but we have the best and most accurate manuscripts and they all contain them, for instance. But that, that is true. But here's some facts about that as I just shared with you, that before the 10th century, there's only 10 existing manuscripts that contain it, that have the writing in it, and yes, it is missing, you know, it is missing the comma. But, uh, Let's look at some other historical facts from antiquity. Jerome, a lot of you know, who translated the, you know, Latin Vulgate, right, at approximately, he started at approximately 382 A.D., right, so sometime during the 380s or early 390s, while, and I could just imagine, because it stated there that he, to do this task, they had, you know, compiled all the manuscripts, remember, they didn't have the written word in the book form. The printing press wasn't invented until the 1400s. So they got all the manuscripts that they could get their hands on throughout the, you know, throughout the kingdom. I mean, from all over. You know, I can only imagine just how many of them there must be existing at that time, right? This is, you know, this, this is early on. That's, they just wrote everything that way. And as he was translating, this is what he said. In comparatively, according to him, he's saying that translators, according to him, were taking this verse, the comma, out of Scripture. Now, according to, to him, that there was a corruption of it done by unfaithful translators. And I'll just say this, maybe so. Another fact of the matter is, if scribes going by, you got to imagine using candlelight and ascribing on that, and I won't get into it all because uh, it's it's really mind-boggling. But if you look at the when they're translating the words, there and it doesn't look like a English language. If you actually went from the ending of verse six and you could fall on nine. The writing, it, the symbols look very similar. And if you did that, you could easily skip over seven and you'd write what they have there. So it could have just been a common mistake. But what's more interesting about that is Jerome noticed it. And Jerome noticed they're stating it. He blamed it upon their, you know, their corrupt, corrupt scribes, corrupt, you know, uh, removing that from scripture. But. The other thing about it, the oldest existing manuscript we have, right, the Vaticanus, 325, 350 A.D., and yes, it does not contain the comma, but at the place where the verse, where they have five, five, seven, and eight, they have what's called, right, uh, what's the word name? I want to say augment, but that's an, it's an ugmat. But what the word means is where you find that, and you'll find it in several places in the Vaticanus, 
it's an admission that this is a disputed verse, right? That the reading of the verse is in question. So what they decided to write down was what they decided to write down. They, we don't know what it was, right? Those people aren't around now, but that there was a dispute about the wording that was that that how this verse was read. So there we even have an admission, not knowing for sure what it was, but since that's the only place, only con controversy, convertible verse, we can, I think, rightfully assume that they're saying yes, they are aware of the controversy and the different readings of this text. They decided to go with the one they went with. And then other copies, you know, were made from that. But the thing I like uh, pointing upon us more is the evidence from antiquity. Keep in mind that they make this decision really based upon that, be it only 10 manuscripts that exist containing 1 John 5, 7, and 8, however you want to read it, exist. And out of that, they say, it's, it's not the word of God, it was added. Just coming to that conclusion. When, if you follow along here, I said there's 10, but prior to the 6th century, actually prior to the 7th, there's only 5. 2 from the 4th, 2 from the 5th, 1 from the 6th. So really upon 5, because in the 6th century, now the Latin manuscripts all come into existence. We don't have the first Latin manuscripts until the 6th century. And from then on, every one we have, 48 of 50, 49 of 50 of them contain the comma. 98% of them. And they'll immediately dismiss that saying, well, you can't, you know, really trust the Latin because we believe the comma got inadvertently added somewhere around the third century. Of course, again, an assumption on their part. Well, we don't find it in the Greek, so it must have been improperly added during the Latin. You know, sometime around the third century. Well, that isn't the way we just, I just read about Jerome saw it. Also, uh, brother long gone, Gregory of Naz Nazi Anzis, I'm not sure if I got that, but he was the Archbishop of Constantinople in the 4th century. And he argued that, you know, he was a great grammarian. He was a great at looking at the structure the structure of, you know, of words. And he said, to leave the comma out would be a grave grammatical error. He says, and he was arguing for the fact that the comma should be in there. He's saying not having it there would what constitute a grave grammatical error. And he's not the first one. He's the first time in antiquity we find a mention of that in someone fighting for its inclusion to be back in the scriptures. So we have, we have to consider that. That, again, is evidence in fact. And then we have many church fathers quoted or alluded to it well before any existing manuscripts we have, period. Where did they get it from? For instance, Tertullian, in or around 200 A.D., he alluded to it when speaking of God, 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he said, which three are one? And if you read the writing, it was saying that doesn't you know, prove he didn't quote the verse. He didn't quote it. But it is interesting because that phraseology, right, we only find in 1 John 5, 7, in the comma, right? Which three are one? The three are one. Which three are one? So was he alluding to that? that that's, that's not as strong, but it's an interesting allusion, and that was 200 A.D. But now Cyprian, 40 or 50 years later, in 250 A.D., he's quoted directly quoting 1 John 5.7. And he says, And again, it is written of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. Now we know this, if you're a Bible scholar, if you're a teacher, I know for me, almost anyone, when we use a phrase before we say something, it is written, we're saying it's in Scripture. We're about to quote Scripture, right? It is written. So since he says, and again, it is written, well, where did, where did he get it from? Does he, you know, they'll say, well, somehow it got... Included, included in uh, some scribe on that. It's like, so they're just going on that. None of these church fathers ever communicated with one another. Origen, around the same time, around 240 AD, alludes to it when speaking of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for these three are one. Again, allusion to it, but we just find that phraseology only in 1 John 5, 7. Another argument they'll get, and I love him. I agree with, with almost everything he teaches. I have, But James White is one of those that says, no, it was never the word of God. When you listen to him, he'll, one of his big things, along with John MacArthur, and sometimes I wonder, did they? How far are they really looked into it? They'll say, "Well, we have Athanasius, the great defender of the Trinity, and he never quoted it." Well, that's not true. He did not directly quote the verse word for word, but any of those who ever teach know that sometimes you know we can paraphrase as long as what you're saying is true and lines up with Scripture. And that you know you are teaching the truth and teaching Scripture, but Athanasius when referring and speaking of baptism in the Trinitarian formula, remember, baptize the name of the Father, Son, and Holy, Holy Ghost, he says this, in addition to all these, because he, he went through a list talking, he, he was referring to the Trinity, he was talking about the Trinity, and he was referring, well, as we get baptized in the name of the Trinity, right, he, he ends it up with this, in addition to all these, John affirms, and these three are one. John who? <laughs> I would say he's obviously referring when he says, and again, John affirms, and these three are one. What was John affirming? Well, John affirmed in 1 John 5, 7, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, of course, he uses word, which is unique to John, because John, John, we, we see that throughout his writings, Right? He referred to the Son as the Word of God a lot. But it's the same thing when he says, Affirm, and these three are one. Same phraseology. 350 A.D., right around the same time as the oldest existing Greek manuscript we have. Okay. 
Priscillian of Avila quotes Kaaba in 380 AD saying this, in, in this way, I'll say it again, right, is this word for word, like, you know, there are three that bear record in heaven. Sometimes if we don't use every single word, we, we can use a little bit of reasoning on this. Amen. Priscillian of Avila quotes Common 388 AD, there are three that give testimony in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit, and these three are one. Again, where is the only place in Scripture that we find that? Phraseology, only in 1 John 5, 7. And again, everything I've quoted so far is prior to 400, right? So, Augustine, right, in, in his writing, therefore, God supreme and true, with his word and Holy Spirit, which three are one. And then he goes on in writing a commentary, that was in a treatise he wrote, but in a commentary he wrote about on 1 John, there are three witnesses, and the three are one. Well, where did he get that from? You know, it's been disputed and was just over, you know, was just in a few Latin manuscripts, and that was inadvertently added. That's their, that's their surmise, since they can't find it in those few existing manuscripts that we have, period, you know, that contain it. But I was wondering so far, does anyone have any questions or comments, observations perhaps? <laughs> I have one question. Yes. Well, it is, uh, to them, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that, that, okay, there's only, well, it depends on the way you go, because, like, going into the 10th century, that there is two that exist, so I'll say before the 10th century, there's 10, but if you include the 10th century, there's 12, period, that, well, I don't want to include the 10th, because there's a couple that exist in the 10th that have it, so before the 10th, there's 10, there's 10 manuscripts that, that have 1 John 5, 7, 8 in it. And none of those contain it. But, you know, but when they make the statement, well, we have over 5,000 Greek manuscripts that don't contain the comma, it's misleading because they're saying, well, okay, we have 10 existing Greek manuscripts. Because that's it, period. Yes, and it's true. None of them contain the comma. But as I was saying, right, where did all these, you know, bishops... Where did these defenders of the faith, where did these proclaimers of truth, godly men, you know, and yes, we know throughout history some of these men had errors, but they're all committed to Scripture. They're all committed to God, held a high view of God, a very high view of his Scripture. And when they're making statements, and John affirms, it is written. And again, it is written. And then they, they quote it or greatly allude to it. 1 John 5, 7, Father Word, the Holy Spirit, these three are one. And some will say instead of word, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, these three are one. It's the only place we have it. It's the only place that it's there. Where did they get it from? <clears throat> but a real strong evidence to me, and this is one it agreed with, uh, it's one site, and again, I'm just saying, we need to take all the evidence in, and to me, the evidence of antiquity is extremely compelling and much stronger than just evidence that the few Greek manuscripts we have existing 
don't contain it. The few, the oldest, but very few manuscripts don't contain it. When I still mentioned that we had that they know there was a controversy even from the even from the Vaticanus, and they 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 put it in there. You'll see several dots right there, right where five, seven, eight are, and there's only one disputed verse even at that time that's ever been there, and that says comma. And they put in that they they just they put the reading they went into. We we're, we're not told anywhere what was the what was the dispute, but we know there was one. There was a disagreement in the text at that time. And I I told you, and Jerome saw it, and so did Gregory, the Archbishop of Constantinople, and they both argued that it should be in there. And these people were removing it, and its removal actually is a grave grammatical error. But in 484. Uh, the great Arian controversy was going on, and Arianism had really, again, you know, come in to a big swath of the church. And Arianism is the teaching, right, that Christ was created, right? Christ is not fully divine. You know, Christ is not equal with the Father, equal with the Son, right? He's, you know, he's created. That's part of it. There's more to it, but that's the big thing. Well, there's this big controversy, and the king of the Vandals in 484 call for this conference because many of the bishops and the elders in the churches had come over to Arianism and now they had converted the Vandal king to Arianism. So he wanted all the bishops in his sphere of influence to agree. Well, so they all showed up including all the bishops that were fighting against him. And they had a man named Eugenius of Carthage, and he spoke for him. And the main verse he used in starting out in defending, in battling Arianism, he direct, he says this, I won't get the whole thing right, but fighting against Arianism, he says this, it is proved by the evangelist John for he says, and then he directly, word for word, quotes the verse. As we have it in our King James today, you know, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. So, in battling against that, to keep in mind that there was roughly 350 bishops there, and from my understanding, the majority of them were actually already, already convinced on Arianism, Right? And then you have these bishops standing for the truth, disagreeing with them, saying, no, right? Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is God. He's equal to the Father. And they quote this verse. The most astounding thing of it is, okay, the people for it agreed with them. Not one objection from the Arian side. So that tells me they all agreed. They knew it was in there. They were just fighting for Arianism. But they, they, they didn't make an argument against that. You know, no one spoke up and saying, wait a minute, you know, that, that's not true. That's not in there. So it was, and considering that was manuscripts, and I'm assuming these all 350 of these bishops would have written. And I'm sure they all didn't just read the same one. Right? These are from all over, all over the, pro, the provinces, you know, of the Vandal King. So... That, from evidence of antiquity, there's much more, but, you know, there's others I could bring into it, there's a lot of allusions to it. But 
my main point is being on this, as, as I started off saying, how do we, I'm not saying they're doing it inadvertently, they want to, but how do you get to where we have a few Greek manuscripts, a few, and from this comma not being in there, but knowing it was disputed even at that time, even if the, even it was being disputed even before the time of the earliest existing manuscripts, few as they are, that have it, you know, that have 5, 7, and 8, but without the comma, they conclude, irregardless of the massive evidence from antiquity, all the evidence from the Latin manuscripts, and I remind you, like I said, 98% of all Latin manuscripts, but none exist before the 6th century, but they all contain it. So, how could you declare something not to be the word of God, that one, it clearly teaches what scripture teaches, it just so clearly affirms the doctrine of the Trinity, it so clearly affirms, you know, that the Father is God, the Son is God, right, the Holy Spirit is God, it fully assures Right? Our guarantee of the truthfulness of the gospel message and that all who believe in the Son are saved because all three of them give, give, give a yes and amen to it, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then just to rip that out of Scripture and say that's not the Word of God because we don't find it. Really, when it comes down to it, the, these two manuscripts from the 4th century, in my opinion, because, okay, the Greek manuscripts, the ones that they were going in probably went off with that one. Because they even admitted in the very first one that it was a disputed verse. So, all the church fathers I quoted, they believed in it, and they were respected. And not even the Arians disagree with that verse being in there in the late 5th century A.D. So, we need to be really cautious and good Bereans been searching into this stuff because this isn't the only issue. Mike bought it before too, right? Now they're either removing or even have preachers refusing to preach the la most of the end of the book of Acts, saying, well, that was at it. Again, through the same formulas they come up with, that, that, that man determines stuff that was accepted for nearly two millennia in the church are now called not the word of God. When they don't dispute they don't contradict, and unlike in times past, right, we could see there were forgeries, we could see that the, the stuff in it and that wasn't, you know, wasn't aligning up with the rest of Scripture. But that's not true of these passages that we're moving now. There, you know, there's other disputed passages too. There's even actually some that are kind of rather inconsequential, but they leave in there, that even have less support than 1 John 5, 7. But somehow they linked on to this verse and a few others just wanting to remove it. Personally, I ask why. But not to judge their sincerity in that, but I would be very cautious myself, and we need to be very cautious, about, you know, saying something's not the word. Why would you even start? Why would you start the controversy? Because as Mike pointed out, really, and I, I looked it up too, do you know what the enemies of our faith attack us with this very thing? Look, even not even your Christians can agree on what your Bible says. Therefore, bringing the authority 
of the word of God into question, right? And it's truthfulness and it's authenticity. Bringing it into question and attacking this with the very thing that's saying, well, and I hear them say, well, I don't want to know what subscribe wrote. I want to know what God actually said. Well, we can guarantee, right? Scripture agrees with Scripture. And I'm going to trust it that if it doesn't disagree, if it agrees wholeheartedly with all the rest of Scripture, and antiquity backs it up thoroughly, what, why, why would we dispute it? Yes. Yeah, my, my point is saying, it, to me, this is a little different in, in the sense that what they're calling the question is not our disagreements over interpretations of Scripture, but it is disagreement over whether or not it even is the Word of God, if it even is Scripture, or we're just believing something some man wrote. Well, what else did some man just write? Right? And it's also caused, causing a lot of confusion, I believe, about a lot, of, a lot of Christians that look into it, right? They just automatically take these scholars at their words. Okay, this isn't there. This isn't there. Well, why would you do that? I mean, by, by what, I don't know, honestly, in my opinion, by what, by what authority do you remove something? This whole issue was dealt with at the time, almost all of it, at the time of the Reformation. These things, these disputes were going on. And they determined to leave it all in there. And it was left in the all in the new translations too. Until all of a sudden starting, you know, well, several decades ago, and then they started, they started removing or putting in footnotes to the point of now they're just removed. And we just got to be careful. Yeah. Yeah. Therefore, it's not the word of God. That's okay. not a legitimate argument. Yeah. Because there's no, any Christian who's, who's just going by what Scripture teaches concerning our condition in this life could make the claim that yeah. if this is the word of God, Christians will always agree on every single verse as far as what should be contained in Scripture or not. Okay. None of us would ever make that claim or should make that claim. Do you get what I'm saying? Well, yeah, yeah, okay. It, well, 
I'll, I'll just leave aside that, right? Because to me, that's not a big deal that they come at us with it, okay? I just mentioned that, okay? Getting back to the main point, right? We have people removing words of God. That is my strong opinion. People from the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th centuries all are quoting it. These people come along 14, 1,500 years later saying, well, we determined upon a few manuscripts that exist, since it's not in those, therefore it's not the word of God. You know, and I'm not saying, I know you're not saying this, Dean, right? But to me, it is a lot more serious because, right, these textual criticisms are continuing today. And they continue over the course of time, right? These same people sit on basically all the boards that determine, right? Because new translations pop out all the time. And these same scholars and these same people are moved by these same things determine what goes in to the translations that we have coming out now. And But to just not be confused... You know, confused and so easily taken in by the simple argument, well, you know, it's not a big deal, but just looking upon that when we go back and look at these things, you know, to, to state, in my opinion, you know, they should stop doing so. Unless you have incontrovertible, and what I mean by there is, right, without a doubt, evidence that it was an addition not not to do it all, but go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> yep. And, and the thing about it is, too, this is why it's me. Hey, I mean, I'm 55, right? I'm not going to be here, you know, Lord willing, right? I mean, you know, by the time the next generation comes along and that, more than likely, you know, me, you know, Brother Mike, we're going to be gone. Oh, the young people coming up, and some of you that are listening right here now, when you're going to teach, and who, who knows where God may place you in that, or when you teach your children on that, 
will they just glance over this stuff? Or will they look into it? Because I had no idea of this controversy, really, until about a dozen years ago. I was like, well, what do you mean it's in the Bible? Well, maybe 13, 14. When all of a sudden I grabbed an NASB Bible and was reading and Hey, that's not in there. And then I had to start looking into it and find out what I mean, right? So, because most, most of us, right, and it's getting worse and worse, right, we're just going to, you know, we're going to accept it. And, you know, we buy what we consider to be a good translation. Not saying overall that it's a good translation, but for some reason in that, it's decided, well, this doesn't belong and this doesn't belong, this doesn't belong. Uh, uh, for various reasons, but that these things were always, you know, were always accepted. When I said, we have to take all the evidence and all the facts and then come, come to an, you know, come to a decision based upon those things. Because right now, yes, it just is things you can prove it. But, you know, what about other verses that they may decide? You think maybe a few generations ago, they never even would have thought this would be an issue. They'll never remove 1 John 5, 7. I bet you somewhere along the line they said that. Well, now they have. They'll never remove the ending of Mark. You know, they'll never stop preaching from Mark. Do you think they would have, they really believed that a few generations ago? They stopped now. I mean, a lot of people because of things like this. So we just got to, it, it is a serious issue in that regard. You know, it's good to have textual criticism, but, right, you, you have to take everything, you know, everything in consideration and don't dismiss, don't just dismiss the things that don't come with your preconceived notion when you go in to look it up. You know, look at all the facts on a matter, you know, to help you, to, to help have wisdom concerning, concerning it. Okay. Well, we're out of time with that. Let's close in a word of prayer. Oh, Lord. We thank you. We thank you for all your many blessings. We thank you for your great gift of salvation. Lord, we thank you that, you know, as we talked about yesterday so much and clearly saw, that you are in absolute control of everything. And for all of us, that you have set your love on and opened up our eyes and given us faith and revealed us unto us and saved us by grace in Christ, you promise to keep us to the very end. You promise us that we are safe and secure in you. We are eternally secure. Thank you so much. Father, thank you for your word, which grounds us and settles us and gives us a firm, sure foundation. And by it, by reading your word, and with, and with, by your Holy Spirit, helping us to understand it, it renews our minds, builds us up in the faith. Father, thank you. Father, we pray now for the upcoming service, Lord. May all who enter be blessed. May, may their understanding be enlightened. And may they all grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may you be glorified in Jesus' name.